Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Myers, a special educator, a professor, and a school administrator. I'm currently vice president of school programs at Kennedy Krieger Institute. Your Child's Brain is a new podcast series produced by Kennedy Krieger Institute in partnership with WYPR. Thanks for joining us to explore the mysteries of your child's brain. On this month's show, we're talking about education and the brain. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Dr. Aaron Parsons, also Vice President of School Programs at Kennedy Krieger Institute. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Linda. And Dr. Lisa Carey, Assistant Director of Kennedy Krieger's Center for Innovation and Leadership in Special Education and an Assistant Research Scientist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Education. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, great to be here. Lisa, let's jump right in. What do we mean by the neuroscience of learning? So the neuroscience of learning is when we take what is known from neuroscience research and clinical expertise in neuropsychology and neurology, and then we take what is meaningful to apply in the classroom, and we use it to inform our instructional practices and our instructional decision-making. Two things that I think are really exciting about the neuroscience of learning is one that we know that brains are just so variable from the timelines in which they develop to the way they develop and function that kids and adults are just learning in very different ways. And so they benefit from lots of different modalities. And then the other piece I think that's really exciting is understanding the importance of emotion for learning and for memory making and memory retrieval. And that we're seeing a big increase in schools paying attention to how important emotion and emotional regulation is for learning. I think you make a really good point, Lisa. It's exciting uh, what neuroscience brings to the field of of learning and education, but it it also sounds complicated. Erin, how is this helpful to teachers, particularly special education teachers? Well, I think it can be very helpful to teachers, but as a special education teacher, uh, you have the ability often to receive a neuropsychological report, and you can think of that report as a, a map of the cognitive function of your child, the student who you're providing instruction to. And it's an indirect map, but it, it maps very uh, various areas that are important for learning and instruction. And when you're teaching the child, you're looking not just at how the child is incorporating this new knowledge, sequencing it to make form new ideas, but also how they're doing it. And this is the roadmap that can provide you really the place to start and your best avenues for success. One of the things that also makes me think of is that in our settings at Kennedy Krieger specifically and and most special education settings is that it's not just teachers that are accessing these neuropsychological reports or research-based interventions, but we've got multidisciplinary teams, you know, folks from a lot of different clinical backgrounds who work with our students. Erin, can you talk a little bit about that, the multidisciplinary approach to the implementation of these best practices? I think it's really critical in, in, uh, in delivering the best service to the child. I mentioned that a, a neuropsychological report was a, essentially a, a map, an indirect map of a, a child's learning or their ability to learn the, their strengths. You know, when you're using a map, it's important to uh, talk to the locals, uh, the, the folks that helped create the map. As a teacher, it's, it's really critical to draw on the expertise from these related fields, of course, uh, the ability to speak directly to the the clinician who's conducted the report is critical, but also the other uh, related service providers who are working with this child. It's really you know, not the teacher on on her own or his own, 
that's uh, trying to help the child access the curriculum. It's really this multidisciplinary team. It's important to also talk to the student, talk to the child about how they learn, help them understand the process that they're going through. So I include the, the child in this multidisciplinary team as well. We strongly encourage the parents' input into a team. And I think sometimes that all of the reports that are presented to a parent can be overwhelming. Lisa, you've had some experience with parent training. What advice do you give to our parents about navigating the, all of the uh, vocabulary and, and different ins and outs and complications that, that might overwhelm them in a, a, you know, of the information in a, in a neuroscience, neuropsychological report? Right. So I think first is take a deep breath. It's not as overwhelming <laughs> as it looks at first first uh, blush, but just making sure that everyone at the team is reminded to use language that everyone understands and that we're defining our terms as we're using them so that nobody feels left out of the conversation. I also usually recommend that parents bring someone with them, not necessarily an attorney or an advocate, but someone just to be there to be another person for support, for emotional support. It can be very emotional going and talking to all these people about the progress of your child and just having someone extra there to kind of be another listener, another person with input, or a person there to remind you that you have really critical, important input that the team needs to to know about. I think that that can be really helpful just to have that emotional support because the team does need to know what the parent is thinking, what the parent is experiencing, how the the child is doing at home. Um, and parents really know their kids so well. And it's really helpful for everyone involved when the parent feels like a, a powerful, meaningful member of the, the team. Uh, I'm sure one of the things on, on everybody's mind is, you know, my gosh, you know, where did, where did our best practices and neuroscience and, and all of, all of the, the research base, um, where did that fit in during this past year, you know, during the implementation of, of education strategies during virtual learning, you know, due, due to COVID? Everybody experienced it on, on some level. Teachers had to relearn ways to individualize and apply universal design for learning strategies across virtual platforms. Aaron or Lisa, I don't know if you want to comment on, on, on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to. I, I know that the, um, introduction of virtual education uh, essentially to an entire nation has been something that's caused you know educators parents students a lot of stress and um, everyone is concerned about these lost years if you have a child that you're concerned about uh, their their you know development cognitive development uh, you've got as lisa mentioned a lot of variability in stages of development and normal can look pretty different across students. I think these concerns are universal. So parents, they're gonna be an important part of this conversation to talk about the relative gains uh, that their child has made. So I think it's important to focus on, you know, looking at benchmarks, looking at uh, what may have been gained and the rate at which it may have been gained in these virtual services, uh, trying to bet project what it would have looked like had the services been delivered in person, um, and then working as a team to capitalize on a child's resilience and to help bring them back instructionally to where we believe they should be. So I really think there, there is hope, uh, but I think parents 
educators and clinicians treating children are going to have to be, you know, highly involved in the next months and years to really assess and look at look at these ranges of development and see what impact uh, you know, these these virtual services had on our children's learning. But again, children are resi resilient, and uh, you know, there's broad ranges in development. So I, I think that we do have a message of hope. I agree. I agree. And in 30 years in this career, I <laughs> no doubt students are resilient and parents are too. You've been listening to Your Child's Brain. Your Child's Brain is produced by Kennedy Krieger Institute in partnership with WYPR and producer Mark Gunnery. Please join us next time as we examine the mysteries of your child's brain. 